You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming up on today's episode, our ranking series continues with a look at the goalies. Plus, one went wrong with Sammy Niku as the Finn was placed on unconditional waivers. Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. What's good and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rewicki or the podcast at Skates Plates Pod. Hope you guys had a hell of a weekend. We've got some actual news, too, to kick off the week, which we'll get to in just a bit here later on in the episode. But this is a huge couple of days coming up here in Winnipeg. And the NHL, really, everywhere. Jets training camp is now just days away. I can't believe it's finally here. But Thursday, the team takes to the ice for the first time ahead of the start of the upcoming season, which is quickly approaching. So super jacked about that. I know you guys are too. But we'll kick off the week on today's episode with the continuation of our ranking series to get ready for the season. So far, the Jets have the 8th best forward group and the 16th best defense in the NHL heading into the upcoming season. If you missed those episodes, you can check those in any other Skates and Plates episodes on any podcast app that you listen to. Uh, but forwards and defense are in the books. That leaves only one position left, obviously, and it's held in pretty, pretty good hands here in Winnipeg. And that would be the goaltenders. So we'll get right to it here because, I mean, there really isn't all that much suspense about where on the list Connor Hellebuck and the Jets will finish. It's just how high and, and maybe if it'll be atop the rankings this time around. Now again, just a reminder, these are rankings for the upcoming season alone, so no salary cap taken into consideration, just straight up, which team's goaltending would you most want heading into the upcoming season to try and win the Stanley Cup? Now, normally when we do this, we work our way down from 32 to number one. I won't put you guys through that and, you know, dive it into the worst goaltending situations in the NHL. Surprise, surprise, Buffalo is dead last again. But we'll actually start up at the top here this time because, you know, it's it's going to be a bit of a short wait, spoiler alert, until Connor Hellebuck and the Jets end up on the list. So number one, I have to give it to the Tampa Bay Lightning and mainly Andre Vasilevsky. I mean, he's the best goalie in the NHL. Probably should have won 
his second Vesna trophy, although Marc-Andre Fleury had a great year. But, I mean, a Vesna runner-up. And then the Conn Smythe Trophy winner as playoff MVP, winning back-to-back Stanley Cups. I mean, that that's the reason for me why Tampa Bay's number one. I know Brian Elliott had an absolutely awful year in Philly, but it's just not going to be an issue when you have somebody like Andre Vasilevsky who can play well over 50-plus games this upcoming season. And if you've ever seen him in person, whether you've been to a Lightning game or, or Tampa Bay plays the Winnipeg Jets here at home, I don't know how anybody scores on him. When, when you see him live, I mean, he's absolutely gigantic, but he moves like a five foot ten guy from the 80s. Like he is just so you could you can't even build a goalie, I think, better than Andre Vasilevsky right now. And the technique is as solid as it gets as well. He is the no doubt about a best goalie in the NHL. Sorry, Jets fans. And I'm going to give Tampa Bay the number one spot in the rankings. But we don't wait much longer. Connor Hellebuck's number two. The Winnipeg Jets, I have at number two. And and again, it's funny because the top two teams in my rankings have, I would say, big-time question marks at the backup spot. But their starter is just so damn good that I, I just think it's too hard to ignore. So let's get to the rest of the top ten first before we circle back to the Winnipeg Jets. So we go Tampa Bay, Winnipeg, Montreal, assuming Carey Price is healthy, I think you have to go with them in the top three after the playoff run that Carey Price had. And Jake Allen's a, a, a damn good backup as well. I have Chicago at number four because the Raving Vesna Trophy winner got traded for literally nothing. And he joins Kevin Lankinen, who had a hell of a season in his first year in the NHL. So Florian Lankinen formed the number four best goalie situation in the NHL this year. The Islanders at number five with Varlamov and Sorokin. Seattle, surprisingly, the expansion team again has great goaltending. Seattle at number six. Anaheim and John Gibson, seven. UC Soros keeps Nashville in the top ten at eight. They're followed by Vegas, who stays in the top ten despite trading their starter because Robin Leonard and Loren Brossois is the goalie tandem for the Golden Knights. And at number ten, the Colorado Avalanche. Losing their starter, but Darcy Kemper is a a pretty good fallback option. So the Avs stay in the top 10 there. Now, I think you could maybe make a case of possibly putting the Winnipeg Jets fifth in in your own rankings, right? Because you look at Montreal, Chicago, and the Islanders, maybe, maybe even Montreal, Chicago, but we'll throw the Islanders in there too. But they have a high end starter who is complemented by. A really, really good backup. I mean, basically uh, a low-level starter in their own right, right? When you have guys like Lankin in the season that he had, Sorokin, who looks to be a, a stud and might even overtake Varlamov for the starting job this upcoming season, and then Jake Allen out there in Montreal. Like, you could say that the gap between Hellebuck and those three starters isn't, you know, a, a major, major gulf, but that Lankinen, Sorokin, Jake Allen to Eric Comrie is a big leap. And maybe that's enough to push those teams ahead of what Winnipeg has to offer. And maybe even Tampa Bay too, if you want to go that route. I'm not, I'm not going to agree with that though. I just, you know, for me, I'm going to put heavy, heavy emphasis on the starter. And to me, if it's a tie, then I'll lean towards the team with the better backup goalie. But to me, my top two goalies in the NHL right now are Vasilevsky and Hellebuck. So I'm going to give those two teams the biggest edge. And when it comes to Connor Hellebuck this upcoming season, really the only concern is just, are the Jets going to run him into the ground too much, right? Like, 
for the first time in a few years, he's actually going to have some support in front of him. Like the Winnipeg Jets aren't going to hang Connor Hellebuck out to dry this year. So, I mean, just from a quality perspective, you could maybe make the case that he might actually see an increase in his save percentage and in some of his, his numbers, you know, by the end of this season. The big worry, though, is just going to be, you know, is he going to play well over 60 games and maybe be fatigued by the end of the season? That's the big issue. And that really leads us to Eric Comrie in the backup position, which has been held in really good hands by Laurent Brassois these these past couple of seasons. I mean, he's going to get a chance in Vegas to, I, I think, play a decent amount more than he has in Winnipeg. But Brassois did a kind of a sneaky, solid, under-the-radar job of giving the Winnipeg Jets above-average goaltending every night that he went in there. That, we just can't say that's going to be the case for sure heading into the season. Because Eric Comrie at the NHL level has been well below average so far. There's really no other way to say it. I mean, his time in Winnipeg, he's basically been shelled in each and every one of his starts. And things weren't much better in his stints out there with Detroit and New Jersey. So this is obviously a major, major area of concern heading into the season. And for a number of different reasons. I mean, first and foremost... (laughs) <laughs> obviously you want your backup to play well and win you some games when your starter's out. Great analysis there, Brand. <laughs> but, right, like, you, we, we just don't know if Eric Comrie is going to, let's just say, I mean, a league average save percentage would be, I think, a, a big mark for him to reach this year. It's something a lot of Jets fans would be very happy with. So there's Eric Comrie's own level of play that clearly come with some legitimate areas of concern. But the other aspect of this is that this might be the worst possible season to have a big question mark behind Connor Hellebuck in case he falters, in case he gets injured, in case whatever happens. This is really the worst time to kind of roll the dice and put all your chips in an unproven commodity as your backup. Because look, the Winnipeg Jets no doubt have somewhat pushed all their chips to the tables to try to contend this upcoming season. So the Jets are going to need the backup to go, I think, at least 500 to, you know, alleviate any of those concerns. But I I am worried a lot about Connor Hellebuck's workload this upcoming season. I don't know when the last time a goalie started 60-plus games and, and won the Stanley Cup, but I think there is some legitimacy to the fact that a goalie that plays that much gets overworked, gets fatigued by the end of the year, and they tend to flame out by the time the postseason comes around. And as it sets up right now, I mean, Connor Hellebuck is going to play well over 60 games this upcoming year because I don't, I really don't know how this team can have a lot of trust in Eric Comrie going out there night after night and, and winning you hockey games. So it looks like Hellebuck is going to reach that dangerous number of around 60, which obviously I think puts a bit of a dent into their playoff hopes. But on top of him potentially playing 60 games, You have the freaking Olympics halfway through the season. And guess who's likely to be the starter for Team USA? That's right. It's going to be Connor Hellebuck. Where are the Olympics? On the other side of the planet, right? Like you're you're asking Connor Hellebuck at this point to play 60 plus games in the NHL in a condensed schedule, I imagine. Also traveling, what, a dozen time zones? I don't even know how many time zones there are, but a number of different time zones across the planet, playing in a short tournament, a number of games, maybe even going far and losing to Canada in the gold medal game if if the U.S. is lucky, right? But there's another 
five, six, seven games added to Connor Hellebuck's workload. And then he comes back, and then potentially you're in the middle of a playoff push, and who knows if you have to play Hellebuck every night down the stretch to get into the playoffs. Oh, and then you have the playoffs after that. There is a lot of hockey on tap for Connor Hellebuck this upcoming season. And I'm honestly really shocked that the Winnipeg Jets, and I get the cap constraints come into it, but I'm shocked there's not a bigger safety net put into place you know, for whatever reason that Connor Hellebuck isn't ready to go. I don't know if Eric Comrie is the answer, but it's a big-time risk that the Winnipeg Jets are taking, one that I wouldn't like to do. But having said all that, to try to spin this back into a bit of a positive light, you know, at least the concern isn't who's going to start for the Winnipeg Jets or can they get league average goaltending or what are you going to do? Can they score four goals a game? Believe me, as a Flyers fan, I'm well aware of these discussions. That's not on the table for the Winnipeg Jets because you know Connor Hellebuck is going to give them, at the very least, all-star level goaltending. He might win himself another bit of hardware by the time the end of the season rolls around. So good news, the Winnipeg Jets, number two in the goalie rankings heading into the season. We'll see if the backup spot is a major issue, a liability, or a surprising bit of a strength. Obviously, Jets fans hoping for the latter there. Now, we're going to get into the Sammy Niku discussion. I might get a little heated on this one, and it might not be for the reason that a lot of you think. So we're going to talk about Sammy Niku being put on unconditional waivers in just a second. But do want to give some love to our friends over at DraftKings because week two of football is in the books. And now it's time to review the tape and get ready for week three with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Kick it off week three. DraftKings is giving new customers $150 instantly. When you bet $1 on any football game, that's right, 150 instantly, and all you got to do is bet one buck. And if Sportsbook is not yet available in your state or province, no big deal, no worries. DraftKings still has huge cash prizes up for grabs all season long with their daily fantasy contests. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN to receive $150 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game. That's promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Like I mentioned, we did get some news here to kick off the week. And a bit of a shocker for me, at least. I did not see this played out in the Sammy Niku saga, but the young Finnish defenseman placed on unconditional waivers for the purpose of a buyout. He will likely immediately become a free agent. And I imagine... I mean, it sounds like he wants to try to continue his NHL career as opposed to going back over to Finland. So we'll see what happens there. But the Sammy Niku story, a really fascinating one for a seventh round pick, comes to an unceremonious end. And now the discussion seems to center around how did it get to this point? Like what went wrong? How does Sammy Niku go from AHL defenseman of the year in his early 20s to a buyout? And somebody who 
you couldn't even get an asset for in a potential trade with another team. As you might imagine, a very vocal contingent here in Winnipeg is putting the blame on the coach. It's it's Paul Maurice and the coaching staff's fault. They mishandled Sammy Niku. They didn't properly help in his development. And that's the reason why we are where we're at. That, that seemed to me to be the general... I don't want to say that that's what everyone was saying, obviously. But that seemed to kind of be the general public sentiment. Is that Paul Maurice mishandled Sammy Niku... And that's why Sammy Niku didn't go from AHL Defenseman of the Year to NHL regular. That that if different things, if you know, coaching was better, if this and that happened, we would see a polished and ready to go Sammy Niku for the Winnipeg Jets this upcoming season. I'm here to call absolute bullcrap on that. I really need somebody to explain to me, like I'm eight years old. How the Winnipeg Jets mishandled Sammy Niku. I'm not saying things were absolutely perfect by the coaching staff, but what else would you have wanted them to do? Looking back at the timeline here, Sammy Niku wins AHL Defenseman of the Year. Great season. Blows everyone's expectations out of the water. Everyone's really excited to see what the young kid can do at the NHL level sooner than later. The Winnipeg Jets award him with a game at the end of the season. And Niku scores against Carey Price in Montreal. Like, a, just a great story. Almost the perfect storybook season for Sammy Niku. Everything looks really, really exciting heading into the next season. 2018-19. That season, the year after he wins AHL Defenseman of the Year, Sammy Niku plays 30 games with the Winnipeg Jets and gets absolutely shelled in his time on ice. I test advanced analytics, whatever you want to look at, he was not good for the Winnipeg Jets when he was on the ice in his first season, 2018-19. Now, hey, I'm not going to blame him. It's tough for any young defenseman to come into their first season in the NHL and have major success. But let's get it straight. It's not like he came in right off the bat and was lighting things up and just failed to get a crack because of the coaching staff and and, and Paul Maurice didn't like him. You know, Sammy Niku, while he was on the ice was not one of the best six defensemen the Winnipeg Jets had in 2018-19. I think it was an easy decision for Paul Maurice to put him in the press box, to have him play with the Moose that year, because he had he had better players, right? I mean, the team struggled down the stretch, but you had Buff, Truba, Myers, Morrissey, Kulikov even. Like, none of those guys were going to be benched so you could get Sammy Niku into game action. On top of it, you know, the Jets are in a playoff race, you need to put your six best guys out there, and he was not one of the six best defensemen for the Winnipeg Jets. So again, where is the mishandling happening in his first full season with the team? The next year, 1920. Now, hey, there was a lot of things that went wrong for Sammy Niku in this year. There's the car crash and the injury before training camp even gets started, so you're already off on the wrong foot. He had groin problems, other lower body injuries. He's injured throughout the year. The struggles continue throughout the entire campaign. And on top of it, the struggles continue for him on the ice. 17 games played, 5 assists. And just like the season prior, his analytical numbers, the advanced stats, were the worst among defensemen on the Winnipeg Jets. So when he's out there on the ice, he's not giving this team a whole lot of value. And as evidenced by the numbers there, 
not a lot of offense to back it up either, right? It's one thing if you're struggling in your own end, but he's half a point a game as a defenseman. That was not the case, and that would continue again into this past season that we saw. Only six games for Sammy Niku, and I thought looked completely lost when he was out there on the ice. The numbers crater even worse to where they were before, and really, he becomes an afterthought at that point. Sammy Niku was just not going to get into any game action for the Winnipeg Jets unless there was a rash of injuries and he was forced into the lineup as, you know, the eighth, the ninth defenseman, whatever he was listed as on the depth chart. So taking all that into consideration here, again, please explain to me how the Winnipeg Jets and Paul Maurice mishandled Sammy Niku. From 1819 to 1920, Sammy Niku plays in 47 games for the Winnipeg Jets. During that time, the worst Corsi, the worst expected goals for on the team. And if you can believe it too, even being billed as an offensive defenseman, he's the worst at creating expected goals for on the team. Behind guys like Nathan Beaulieu, Anthony Potato, Tucker Pullman, and really any other Jet defenseman that played for the team during that time frame. Nine points too. Over the past three seasons for Sammy Niku, nine points in over 50 games played. How was any coach supposed to play a defenseman who's billed as an offensive guy? How is any coach supposed to play somebody who doesn't give you offense and is one of the worst defensive defensemen in the entire NHL on top of it? And look, I love analytics. I use them all the time. I, I think if people don't use them, you're missing out on a valuable source of information. But one of my biggest pet peeves with people that, you know, kind of lean towards the analytical side of things is almost ignoring the numbers when it comes to a young, exciting offensive player. You can't ignore the numbers just because you want to see a young guy succeed at the NHL level. And when you look at what he's done analytically, he's been one of the worst defensemen in the entire NHL during that time span. You're talking about a Corsi in the low 40%. That is beyond atrocious. Expected goals in and around that range as well. You just don't see defensemen put up those numbers and regularly get ice time while doing so. So again, I don't know what Paul Maurice is supposed to do in that situation. And I'm also not buying the, you know, the coaching staff tried to change the way that Sammy Niku played. And that's what led to... A decrease in confidence, a decrease in his game playing abilities, and ultimately the numbers that we end up seeing here. That's not what it looked like to me when Sammy Niku was out there. I, I didn't see a guy, you know, chipping the puck off the glass every time he got it to avoid a big mistake or trying to play a tough physical brand of hockey in front of the net to appease the coaching staff, right? Like, I didn't see either of those things. I didn't see Sammy Niku try to stray away from what made him successful at the AHL level. What I did see was a young player that struggled to make the same plays he did with the Moose at the NHL level because everyone in the NHL is a step faster, is an inch bigger, is 10 pounds heavier, thinks the game as fast as Sammy Niku does. There are countless number of players that do extremely well at the AHL level but can't transfer that success over in the big leagues. I mean, look at the guys that have won AHL Defenseman of the Year. It's not a, a murderer's row of blue liners. I mean, if you look at the past 20 years, I think Nicholas Cronwall and, and Justin Schultz are really the two only notable names that won AHL Defenseman of the Year and then, you know, parlayed that into 
continued success at the NHL level. Like, it's not a guarantee or a predictor of a future success at the NHL. So when I watch Sammy Deku play for the Winnipeg Jets, I don't see a guy that is mishandled by the coaching staff or being improperly used while he's out there on the ice. I see a really good AHL player, a seventh-round pick, that struggles to make efficient plays and reads at the NHL level when everything gets sped up to the nth degree out there. And on top of all that, too, people around the team that I trust, from what I've heard, the work ethic is not there whatsoever for Sammy Niku. First off, the ice at practice was a pretty common occurrence during his time here in Winnipeg. And there may have been some attitude issues as well. So I don't think this was a really difficult decision, honestly, for Kevin Chevalier, Paul Maurice, and the Winnipeg Jets here. I think that both parties just realized that a break was best for everybody involved. And obviously, no other team was interested in giving up any other asset for, a at one point, a young, promising defenseman. And so the Jets just cut bait. So again, when I look back at this situation... And we take into account what Sammy Niku looked like on the ice, what his numbers were, what the work ethic and what the attitude were as well. I don't see a player being mishandled by the coaching staff. I just see somebody that couldn't crack it at the NHL level. And now he'll take his talents elsewhere and try to prove the Winnipeg Jets wrong. And again, I'm not saying that you know the Jets coaching staff is infallible and, and perfect in all of this. I mean, you could point, if you want to talk mishandling, I think Vili Hainala was mishandled this past year. You know, basically sitting on the taxi squad and doing nothing for three quarters of the season, right? I, I think that could have been handled much better. And there are a number of situations, you know, forwards and defense, and, and maybe even goalies too, that this team has mishandled. But sorry, not buying it on Sammy Niku. I, I'm just not. I, I did not see an NHL caliber player while he was here, and I think the coaching staff would agree with that assessment, obviously, and, and not playing him a whole lot these past two seasons. Will be interesting to see where he ends up, though. Like I mentioned earlier, it sounds like he wants to give, I, I guess, his NHL career one last chance before potentially moving back home to Finland. I imagine Sammy Niku gets a, a PTO somewhere, uh, you know, a, a chance to make a team out of training camp, and we'll see what he does. I mean, hey, I'll gladly eat crow if he proves me wrong and, you know, goes on to be... A power play two guy and, and maybe a third pairing defenseman for some NHL team out there. I'm just not seeing it. And again, I'm not going to say mishandling was the proper use during Sammy Niku's unceremonious end as a member of the Winnipeg Jets. Well, on that sunny note, why don't we call it quits here for the episode? I, I wish I could end it on a bit of a brighter one. But I mean, hey, if we're, if we're going to try to find silver linings in this. Billy Handela and Dylan Sandberg move up the depth charts, huh? Anyone? Does that work? They're one spot closer to making the Winnipeg Jets and playing games for them? At the very least, how about we're two days away from training camp? How about that? I, I think that's a solid way to end this one. So we'll wrap up the episode here, quickly looking ahead to our next show on Friday. And we'll talk the first day of Winnipeg Jets training camp. It'll be in the bucks. We might get our first glimpse at line combos, deep pairings, all that. Either way, super jacked to get that going. On top of that, too, now that Burger Week is finally wrapped up, we'll get a food interview coming your guys' way as well. You know, I, I think I think the chefs and people around the city have finally had enough time to decompress. 
hopefully get a massage and they're good to go. So we'll get back to the food interviews as well to close out the week on Friday. In the meantime, though, thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. Again, we're back here on Friday. Peace.